Welcome to the podcast of Leeds First Methodist Church. We are so glad you decided to tune in with us today. The following sermon was preached by Pastor Chris, and it is the third sermon in our church's On Earth as in Heaven series. If you would like to watch the entire worship service, you can do so by visiting our website at leadsfirst.org, and at the top of the page, go to Worship and click Online Worship. Good morning, my name is Chris Stallings. It's my privilege to get to be pastor here at Leeds First Methodist Church. We are in part three of our series on earth as in heaven. And in the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, and we model that often in our life. But there's a line in there where he says, God, your kingdom comes soon and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And living on earth and thinking that it can be like heaven can feel like a a disconnect or even a contradiction, right? When we look at all that's going on around us, even all the stuff in our lives, even all the junk we've gotten ourselves into, and to think, well, God wants to bring heaven to earth. He wants to use you as a follower of Jesus to bring that Looking at that key verse from Matthew 6, 10, it says, May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so in this series, each week we're looking at different characteristics or character traits of Jesus' followers, which will help us bit by bit to bring heaven to earth, God's light, the light of Jesus into this dark world. Today... Living in harmony. Living in harmony. Anybody got allergies? Y'all know what I'm talking about? This, this, this. You know, the stuff in the air. It feels like if you live in Alabama, you get like four days, there's not something in the air, right? Or there's food allergies. Y'all know about food allergies? The one that make you do stuff when you eat it? Or poison ivy allergies. Anybody got those? That's, or poison oak. Ah, oh, right. Well, I've dabbled in all of those a little bit. But my mainstay when it comes to allergies is fire ants. You know what I'm talking about? Not the ones that crawl. Oh, look, a trail of ants carrying away the watermelon. But the ones that are like, hmm, fire ants. Those are the most aggravating to me, the biggest reaction in my body. I looked up when I was, this thought came to me. I, I learned that 50% of the people don't even get any kind of reaction whenever the fire ants are around or bite on them. This is just like a nothing. I was like, man, I'm in the other 50%. I learned that there's 1% or 2% of people that the reaction is severe, like their tongue or mouth swells up like a food allergy, or even they have trouble breathing or have trouble with like nausea and all that stuff, or even pass out. And everybody, they say, is susceptible to a toxic dose. Like if thousands get on you, it can all hurt us real bad. Well, knowing that I have an allergy to fire ants, wouldn't you know it? Ha! <laughs> I had a camper once and I stored it in a friend's field or pasture because there wasn't room in my driveway and so I stored it there and I went over one time to get it and y'all know what a wheel chalk is? 
You know what I'm talking about? Like the thing that goes behind the wheel keeps it from rolling when you're not meaning for it to. And so I, I got down to pull the wheel chalk out. And I looked down. Guess what I just introduced my knee to? A mound of fire ants. It took me just a little second to be like, huh. That's a fire ant, <laughs> you know? And then a couple of seconds later, I started feeling them. And that's the thing. They don't hurt at first. They're not me anyway. Like you just, they're just like a little, like something itchy, scratch, you know, just kind of wallowing all over you. Woo! Mm. It didn't take a couple of seconds. I had shorts on, so it was my bare knee right in the middle, plop in the middle of fire ants. And dozens bit my skin. Because I'm in that 50% that gets really agitated by them. My knee swole all up, <laughs> you know, like got big. And then that night, it was twice the size of my other knee. It's hot, like there's infection. There was just, mm, anybody? That's aggravating. When you know it, this week I went to get something out from under my truck and there's a fire hill <laughs> right next to it. I learned my lesson to stay away from those. Sometimes, though, when we think about a topic, we think about describing it in terms that are like it or terms that are the opposite. And our topic this week is harmony, and there's nothing that seems more opposite of harmony than fire ants. Right? They may get along together in their mound. Like, I'm sure they're friends. They probably don't bite each other. But man, you introduce a person to their world and they just get all tore up about it. <laughs> right? Like, they don't want company. And there's some mean. You get one on your skin, you don't even swat it, squish it, whatever. Every movement, they bite you again. They just keep going. They're ornery. Instead of living in harmony. Sometimes people can be like that. Have you ever known anybody that's like that? Ugh. Right? Every single time. Um, just like, it's like every movement on that fire. Just biting you. Every time you're around them, they won't argue. Every time they talk about something, they're fussing. Ornery is the opposite of Harmony. So which should followers of Jesus pursue? Harmony or ornery like the fire ant? Well, it brings up a question. Is there ever a time that we should fuss or fight or argue, right? It seems obvious maybe to us, but we sometimes lose our perspective in the moment. We probably shouldn't argue or fuss or fight about the little things like in a marriage I advise you don't fuss or fight about how the towels are folded. <laughs> or if the, you don't know what this is. Right? Just don't even, just figure it out. Right? If you fuss and fight about that, you'll never make it. But then there's like, what about the big stuff? Right? In our relationship, if one of the family goes and blows the whole budget on, well, I just felt like I had to get my, you know, whatever, and there's not money for the mortgage or to tie to the church, and you're like, what are you doing? Do you fight about those things? Or you just say, huh? And if we are to ever disagree, 
How are we to do it in our personal relationships, even in the church, in a way that brings heaven to earth? Where the kids aren't traumatized by it, where the neighbors of the, you know, are you okay? <laughs> or especially in the church where the people around don't be like, they fight like the devil, right? Let's look at what Scripture says about this topic, living in harmony. If you've got a Bible, I invite you to open it or to turn it on to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Romans, we're picking up in this letter where Paul has written to the Christians in Rome. And then last week and in chapter 13, we looked at how he's instructing them into living into holiness or holy living where they live apart from sin and set apart for the purposes of God. And then here in chapter 14, he's going to start introduce this, how you deal with disagreements. It's almost as if he might know something like, hey, your disagreements might be the thing that would challenge <laughs> your holy living as much as anything, right? Well, let's pick up Romans chapter 14. We'll begin reading in verse 1. We'll go through verse 13. I'm going to read the New Living Translation. If you'd like to follow along word for word, they will also be on the screen. Romans, Romans 14, beginning verse 1. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's right to eat anything. I thought half the churches say amen. <laughs> All right. All right, but another with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't, and those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. For God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. Verse 5. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do so to honor Him. And those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. If we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be the Lord of both the living and the dead. Verse 10, so why? Why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me. And every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. 
This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. Well, the disagreements here are implied to be between the Jewish Christians, the people that were raised in Jewish tradition became Christians, and the Gentile Christians, the people who were raised in some other tradition and became Christians. You see, the Jews who were raised under the teaching of the Old Testament, not only the moral laws that are still in effect today, they learned about the dietary laws and the ceremonial laws that were intended by God to help guide them as a people that were initially nomadic, right? They were leaving Egypt, going to the promised land. They moved around. They were setting up a new kind of city or state or government. And so it was instruction for them. In fact, it said things like, don't eat this food or it'll kill you, right? So it was a good warning. But the Gentiles, as they became Christian, they came from a completely different background. They never had those same dietary rules or the ceremonial rules and so the worlds clashed but under God's new covenant under God's covenant following Jesus resurrection and ascension to heaven those laws of ceremony and dietary no longer strictly applied if you want the reference there look up Mark chapter 7 and Acts chapter 10 and yet even though those were no longer in effect both Jews and Gentiles could decide how they wanted to participate in them or not their arguments continued right y'all know anything like this y'all watch football right we'd argue over that I'm surprised there's not a in the state, right? And we do this about so much stuff. What makes it even more heated if we do it about the religious stuff, right? They talked about it. What day do you worship on? What time do you go to worship? Even more impactful is like, I guarantee you like the way you do it. Anybody want to say amen, Right? If you were baptized as a baby and sprinkled, you probably think that's the best way to do it versus someone that was immersed as a youth or an adult. Right? If you were saved and became a follower of Jesus at camp meeting at an altar kneeling down, you probably think that's the best way to do it versus someone that meets with the youth minister or the pastor in the office. Right? We just think, it's my way, it's the best way. Right? And that's what they were doing. In fact, they were doing it to the point where it was dividing the church. And people were like, well, what do you even, like, I don't even know if you're a Christian if you don't do it my way. Right? So in verse 13, Paul says, you're ultimately accountable to God. God gives you some freedom in the areas. Quit fighting about it. Stop condemning. Stop arguing. He says, stop doing that because it hurts you and the church's role in bringing heaven to earth. In fact, it's becoming a stumbling block to others in the church and to others outside because you just won't quit. Let's look how we might move. From ornery to harmony, 
If you've got your worship bulletin, I invite you to take it out. If you clicked on the link to the online guide to follow along, there's a place for you to take notes for these points. Maybe add a, a point. It's like, oh, I need to, Monday morning, I need to put that on my to-do list, right? Apply it to your life so it might transform you. Number one, live in harmony to welcome another. Live in harmony to welcome another. Verse 1, the first part says, accept other believers who are weak in their faith. You see, chapter 14, verse 1, immediately follows chapter 13, obviously. But in that chapter 13, Paul's talking about living in holiness and giving up sin and being set apart from God's purpose. And one of those key purposes is to invite others into that kingdom work. Right? To invite others to be a part of the faith. So accepting another is not, though, to remove that truth or holiness or theology. Rather, that your role in holy living is to be a part of inviting and welcoming others, especially those who are new or weak in their faith, so that they may come to faith and grow in that faith. It's ironic. Sometimes even those that are the most experienced in their faith are clinging to things that are not essentials of God, right? The things that, well, that was the way I like it. It's almost as if our means of faith have become our end of faith and we'll fight to the end for those means. But to be sure, this point is there that the kingdom of God may expand through our welcoming engagement with those who are not yet part of the faith and those that are new to the faith and even those who disagree with us on the non-essentials. You see, you can accept people without affirming their actions, especially when those actions are not in line with God's truth. In fact, accepting and a new believer or someone young in the faith is a little bit like accepting a baby into your household. Have you ever had babies? You don't know what I'm talking about, babies? Right, they can't walk, they can't talk, they can't feed themselves, they certainly can't carry their own weight or mow the yard even yet, right? And so what do you do? You help them, Right? Some of you are like, oh, I have way too much in these kids, right? But you help them on the hope that they will grow. You got to give them time. If you come in and expect, why aren't you walking yet? Well, I'm six weeks old. Why haven't you made 100 on your calculus test yet? Right? Does that make sense? And so when we project that, if you're super mature in your faith, even if you're entirely sanctified, there are going to be people in the church, in your life, that are not. They're infants in the even essentials. And they're just learning how to walk and talk. And so be ready to walk with those, to feed those, to even hold those when they cry. But this passage goes beyond just accepting those who are young in their faith or understanding the truth of God. It says especially, even when we're mature, to leave matters of conscience as matters of conscience. Right? Don't give up the goal of holiness 
for that, those weak in faith, but let God's Spirit and let God's time work in them that they may grow in their faith. But then and only then stick with the main things and keep them the main things. Number one, live in harmony to welcome another. Number two, live in harmony for unity in essentials and liberty in opinions. Unity in essentials and a liberty in opinions. Verse 1b or the second part of verse 1 says, and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. We need unity in essentials. Absolutely, we need liberty in opinions. Absolutely, too often church members are known, more known for majoring in the minors, right? Like, what are we against? Who are we against? Sometimes even inviting folks in just so we can have that argument with them. The phrase in this verse 1, that part that says they think is right or wrong, is a translation of the original Greek New Testament word, dialogismos. Dialogismos is to argue about differences of opinion. Differences of opinion. If you look in the Bible, that word is also in Mark 9. And it's the story where Jesus is working with his disciples and they're going along. He's telling them something. They're like, oh, I'm sorry, Jesus. We, we missed what you said because we were arguing amongst ourselves who was the, the best disciple. <laughs> and Jesus is like, what are you doing? are you arguing about that? Don't you know? And he says, whoever wants to be greatest will be least and will serve all. That's what my kingdom is about. And so Jesus highlights there and Paul here in Romans says, don't do that. Don't argue from a sense of my opinions are the best because what the root of that is, is pride. Right? Whenever you argue, oh, this is my way is the highway, my way, you know. It's coming from your sense of pride. And thus arguing over that is sinful. Especially when it's not even related to a truth of God. Let me illustrate this point. Are there any Chick-fil-A fans in the house? Are you kidding me? Well, who's all lined up out there every day when I come by? I don't know if we can agree on much, but surely we can agree on this. It's God's chicken, right? <laughs> all right, go with me for just a minute, right? We, let's assume we all agree. It's God's chicken, whether they put it on a sandwich or in nuggets, it's the best. I learned something. Did you know there are people that buy that beloved chicken and dip it in that awful Polynesian sauce? Hey, do you know what I'm talking about? Hey, what on earth are you doing? Take Profane that chicken like that. Hmm. Everybody knows if they are at all following the truth that the pure Chick-fil-A sauce is the best sauce. Am I right? Can I get an Amen. 
All right, I'm sort of kidding, right? But the point is, you can all love and declare it's God's chicken, but we can disagree about what's the best sauce. In fact, Chick-fil-A said it's going to be this chicken, but then you go there and they say, what kind of sauce do you want? They'll even give you multiple packets of that profane Polynesian sauce and Chick-fil-A sauce and honey mustard sauce. They even got fancy packets of ketchup that you peel open and dip it in, right? I mean, they got the sauce down in what they're doing is illustrating my point here. Agree on the essentials. Give liberty in the opinions, Right? When we do that with God and what God said is our truth and we hold fast to that, but then give liberty and the opinions. Then, then we will live in harmony. Number three, live in harmony to please God. Live in harmony to please God. Verse 12 reads, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So what are those essentials? Number one, be saved or experience salvation. You must repent of your sin and believe in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and make him Lord of your life. Absolute essential. There are moral commands of God that are essential. Where the dietary rules and the ceremonial laws went away, the moral law of God is preserved. That part where it says, Thou shalt not kill still applies. That don't have adulterous relationships, those still apply. We will answer to God for that. How we live, and we believe in Jesus and make him Lord of our life. Verse 11 reads, ultimately every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That's where our ultimate judgment comes. And so if you or we are unsure about God's truth, let's double down in that so that we are absolutely sure. Our faith is in Jesus. Our following his commands are true. But let's focus less on the condemning of others. You may be 40 years into the journey in their four days. Right? You may be arguing over something like Polynesian versus Chick-fil-A sauce. Did you hear this story about a pastor who a a lady came to him and says, Pastor, I'm through with this church. I'm going to quit. Being a bit patient that day, the pastor said, well, can you tell me more? Can you tell me why? And she said, well, I've learned that I think there's one of the women that's gossiping. And I suspect one of the men has been having an affair And even one of the very singers on this stage I've discovered is a registered Republican, or is it Democrat, whichever had the latest scandal. 
And that's just unacceptable. And the pastor said, well, if you must leave, will you do me one more favor before you go? So next Sunday during the the worship service, I'd love for you to go to the kitchen in the other building and fill up a glass of water all the way to the top. It's very important. It's completely full. And you not spill a drop and you bring it to me even during the middle of my sermon. Will you do that? And then if you must, you can leave. And she said, well, that's easy. I can do that and I'll be gone. And so the next Sunday during the worship service, she gets up and goes to the the kitchen and fills up the glass of water all the way to the top where it just, you know, almost where it is crowned at the top. And she guardedly carries it, not spilling a drop, and sits it on the table right there on the stage where the pastor is preaching. He nodded a good job and she sat through the remainder of the service and afterwards he says... If you must leave, you can go. But before you do, we answer one question. When you were walking with that water, did you see any of the women who were gossiping? No, I didn't. Did you notice any of the men who you suspect of having those affairs? And she goes, I didn't. Finally, did you notice who it was that votes so egregiously? No, she finally replied. He said, well, all those people were there. How did you not notice them? And she said, I'm not sure. And he said, well, it was because you were focused on that glass of water. Filling it to the top taking each step as to not to spill it. And he delivered it here without any of it hitting the floor. Thereby you missed so much of the imperfection in other people. And it's like that with your faith. When you will set your eyes on Jesus Christ and let that be your focus in what you're doing to follow him, to worship him, to live like him. The things you feel the need to judge or even accuse of others will fade away. That's, that's what leads to a church that exists and lives in harmony and not in ornery. Paul in another letter to the Galatian church said this, pay careful attention to your own work. But then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Church, I invite you to live in harmony to please God. Let's pray. God, thank you so very much for the blessing, the truth of Jesus, the essential of faith in him that brings us to salvation. God, I pray that you would work in and through truth of your scripture to help us to be focused on those things and help us invite others to faith and help them grow in that. God, help us to also know the things that are just opinions.
Help us to know the things that are truth and cherish and cling to them. But God, in the opinions, give us liberty. And in all we do, help us to focus on you in this moment, in this life, and for eternity. For you are Lord of it all. We pray this in the powerful and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We would love for you to visit us in person at 8.45 a.m. for modern worship or at 11 a.m. for traditional worship. If you would like to plan a visit, simply text the word CONNECT to the number 205-772-4906 and you'll be sent a link to get you started. Thanks again, and God bless.